0: Attorneys who practice before the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit are instructed to follow the Federal Circuit Rules of Practice. On March 30th, the Federal Circuit issued extensive amendments to the Rules of Practice, which address confidentiality, timing, and formatting. The revised rules apply to all appeals docketed on or after April 1, 2016. Finnegan Attorneys Dan Cooley, Jason Romrell, and Derek McCorkendale join us now to provide insight into the rule changes. Dan, take us through the amendments related to the confidentiality of materials submitted to the court.
1: The Federal Circuit modified several rules relating to confidentiality. It modified rules 11, 17, 27, 28, and 30. And before I discuss the specific amendments, I think it's helpful to understand some of the context of why the court may have made these amendments. First of all, when material is marked confidential in briefing, it's typically redacted or blacked out so that the public versions of the briefs do not provide that information. And that can have a couple of consequences. First of all, if those facts are relied upon in the court's decision, then the public can be deprived of the understanding that would be gained from the court's analysis of those facts and how those facts affected the decision. And second of all, the confidential information can create administrative burdens for the court. The court has to follow specific procedures relating to how it handles the briefing, and it can also create issues at oral argument regarding the types of questions that can be asked and whether the argument is public or non-public. With those issues and concerns in mind, the Federal Circuit has been focusing in on the confidentiality issue in recent times. And, in fact, they issued an order in the Gilead Sciences v. Sig Farm Laboratories case. And in that case, the court issued an order to show cause why the appellant should not be sanctioned for over-designation of confidential materials. So it's definitely an issue that's been on the court's mind Now, with respect to the specific amendments, the court first modified Rules 11 and 17. Rule 11 relates to the trial court record, and Rule 17 relates to the agency record. And under both rules, a portion of the record that was subject to a protective order will remain subject to the protective order, and that was the case under the old rules. But under the new rules, 11 and 17, material will lose its status as protected if it has appeared in the briefing without being marked confidential. Now, moving to Rules 27 and 28, Rule 27 relates to the content of motions. Rule 28 relates to the content of the appellate briefing. Except for limited circumstances now under these two rules, both rules will limit the number of words that can be marked confidential in a brief to a total of 15 words under the prior versions of these rules, there was no cap on the number of words that could be marked confidential. Now there can only be 15 words. The parties can seek for additional words beyond the 15, but they have to file a motion in order to justify and explain to the court why the additional markings are appropriate. And then the final rule that was modified that relates to confidentiality is Rule 30, and that rule relates to the joint appendix Under that rule, the court has established some additional certifications and procedures for handling joint appendix and the new confidentiality rules that are consistent with how it treated rules 11, 17, and 27, and 28.
0: Jason, can you tell us about the rule changes that address the timing of particular procedures practitioners must follow during the appeals process?
2: These latest amendments really emphasize and clarify the importance of timely filing a notice of appeal. Instead of stating that the clerk may return a notice of appeal that is untimely, the new Rule 4 actually states that the Federal Circuit cannot waive the untimely filing of a notice of appeal. Now, that said, the practice notes attached to Rule 4 do mention the district court's authority under Federal Rule of Appellate Procedure 4 to extend or reopen the time for appeal. If there really is a problem with an untimely notice of appeal, appellants need to try to fix it at the district court, not at the federal circuit. Another important change involves the calculation of time to file a responsive document, such as the appellee's brief or an appellant's reply brief. Many practitioners have really become accustomed to this rule of adding three additional days in situations involving electronic service. But now under the new rule 26C, three additional days are not added when the original document was filed through CM-ECF. Really, this rule change just reflects the realities of modern technology. The Federal Circuit now uh, recognizes and considers service by email through CM-ECF to be delivered when it's actually transmitted. Also, the Federal Circuit rules governing a late entry of appearance and conflicts with oral argument dates have been modified, too. Under Rule 47.3C, an entry of appearance filed after a case is assigned to a panel will now be referred to that panel as a motion. And whenever there is a change in information appearing on an entry of appearance, including email addresses, an amended entry of appearance must be filed. Also, as explained in the amended practice notes in Rule 34, the clerk's office will issue a notice of docket activity when a case is fully briefed. And counsel should advise the clerk of court in writing within seven days from that notice of docket activity of any scheduling conflicts for the next three court weeks. And if there is a potential conflict arising after the notice of docket activity, counsel should advise the clerk of court as soon as those potential conflicts are known. But counsel should not wait until an actual conflict arises to advise the court that there's a problem. And finally, that helpful table embedded in the practice notes for Rule 15 was amended to update agencies, statutes, and filing times for various petitions for review and notices of appeal.
0: Finally, Derek, the amendments also impact the formatting of briefs and appendices submitted to the court. Can you tell us more?
3: Lest we think that these formatting issues are not important or just mundane, the court has a long history of having the clerks review the briefs as they come in for compliance with the formatting. And if it is not uh, properly formatted, the clerk is empowered to reject those briefs, which will often cause embarrassment or additional expense uh, for that individual. And so these amendments are quite important, and they involve the uh, Rules 28, 30, and 32, The first one that is of note here is the Amendment to Rules 28 and 30 that changed the requirements for presenting and citing materials in an addendum and in an appendix. And specifically now the court has required that not only are all the pages to be Bates numbered, but they are to have a particular format. In the past, they've often been marked with J-A or just A, but now the court is requiring that all pages be marked A-P-P-X, and then the page number, perhaps tethering this or linking it through computerized means so that the court can easily refer to those pages in the joint appendix through an electronic document, parties will be uh, definitely held to a higher standard as the court has that instantly accessible at their fingertips rather than leafing through potentially dozens of volumes of an appendix. And so uh, this will keep practitioners on their toes, certainly at oral argument as judges are able to connect to the source material much quicker. There are further instructions and amendments given with respect to certificates of interest. Rule 26 now emphasizes that attorneys are required to file them with all their briefs and motions, and specifically now, Rule 47.4 requires parties to file amended certificates of interest within seven days of any change in the information. The information that is germane to These certificates of interest are company ownership, parent relationships of more than 10%, things of this nature, and so it behooves all practitioners to very carefully check the client's ownership and the client's connections and to properly report that to the court in compliance with these rules. The judges take this very seriously because this is their way of determining whether they have conflicts that require recusal, and so they need to know the parties that are in front of them and who their parent and, and affiliations are with. There are a few other things to note with respect to the entire rules package that this applies only going forward. So all appeals docketed after April 1st, 2016. So if something is already on the court's docket and you're already in the process of briefing, this new rules package won't apply. The other thing to remember is that this is meant to be read in conjunction with and to overlay the federal rules of appellate procedure that already exist. And, of course, this is the federal circuit's specific addendum to those rules. And so practitioners should be very conscious of that and read both rules side by side to understand the differences.
0: Our guests have been Dan Cooley, Jason Romrell, and Derek McCorkendale, attorneys at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.